Our scripture reading today will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 14. This is the word of God. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right, thank you, Christina. Um, well, yeah, like I said earlier, we, uh, we, we're, we're at the end of 2 Corinthians. Uh, we started this in January. Here we are the last Sunday in June. Uh, so much has happened uh, in our world, in our church uh, since then. Um, but uh, at this point, we've gone through a lot in 2 Corinthians. Uh, and Paul has said all that he wanted to say. So, so he's not bringing up uh, an, another argument. He's not kind of getting towards the end, and he's not saying like, and another thing. No, he's, he's, he said what he intended to say, and now he's wanting to finish up. He doesn't want to make another argument. And so instead, he just wants to give them a benediction, a, a blessing. He wants to give them a, a good word, a good word to end on. And so, so in this closing section, uh, Paul leaves them with, with three things. Uh, and I want to talk about each one. First, he gives them these five commands. Uh, second, he gives them a promise. And third, he gives them a benediction. And I want to kind of walk through each of these things uh, real quick. So first, let's talk about these five commands. You know, this is a short passage, but man, there's a lot jammed into here. So, so there's five things that Paul tells the Corinthians to do in verse 11. Uh, he tells them to rejoice to aim for restoration, to comfort or encourage one another, uh, to agree with one another, and to live in peace. And so I want to go over each one of these briefly. So first, he tells them to rejoice. Now, some of you, maybe if you're in the King James or another translation, it might say, instead of rejoice, it says farewell. It's kind of a different uh, uh, spectrum of words here. But uh, I think there's a word here in some debate, the intended uh, meaning that Paul had for the, for the word he chose. But I think rejoice is to be preferred here. Uh, one of the reasons is that Paul often ends his letters like this. And the other is that he often emphasizes joy in his letter. Uh, consider just a few of these scriptures among many that I could have picked from. But in Romans 15, 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. And 2 Corinthians 1, 24, he says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy that you stand firm in their faith. And last in Philippians 1.25, he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul was serious about people being happy, right? Now, you might think, well, Kevin, you messed up there. I think you said happy instead of joy. I, I, I meant to do that. Because the, the, it's, it's a popular distinction to make between happiness and joy. I, I read a book just a couple months ago, and they made this distinction. But the, the Bible does not make this distinction between happiness and joy. Paul wants them to be happy, to have joy, and to rejoice. When a two-year-old sees their parent walking through the door, and they run up to give them a hug, 
you don't need to have an argument now. Is this joy or is this happiness? It's just good, you know? There's no reason to make that distinction. It's just kind of the same thing. And this makes sense because throughout the Old Testament, we read about God commanding his people to rejoice and to be glad. And this idea deserves more time than I'm going to go in today. I might do like a sermon or two on this because I think it is profoundly important. But just suffice it to say that God doesn't just want you to be happy or to have joy. He commands it. It's not an option not to rejoice. It's something you must do, and if you're not doing it, you need to repent. It's a big deal, and, and, and it's what God requires of us that we must do. Now, you might hear that and think, yeah, it's kind of what I thought. I feel like so much of Christianity is just about faking it, right? You know, and here's the thing, is that I could see where that would be the case, but it's not that. <laughs> He's calling you to rejoice, not to fake it, but to actually have it. And so being glad in the Lord, having that happiness, which is located in the Lord. Now, there is a difference between where your happiness or joy might be located, right? But, but having that is something that we're supposed to be working for. Like when we, when we study our Bible or pray or we're serving, we're doing that because God, God commands us to do that even because he wants us to be joyful and rejoice. So Paul will say in with this command for them to Rejoice! This is something you must, he's leaving them with a good word, a benediction. This is part of what he wants them to know. Next, Paul tells them to aim for restoration. Some uh, translation might say be complete or be perfect. This just means being being one, being being reconciled, aim for restoration. So if, if you've been with us th- throughout this series in 2 Corinthians, you've, uh, especially in chapters 10 through 12, you saw the emergence of some villains in this letter. And it was the so-called super apostles. It was these people who were coming in uh, and they were kind of bad-mouthing Paul and they were kind of had their own ministry that they were going towards the Corinthians and they were causing problems. Like Paul, Paul was dealing with them as if they were problems because they were problems. And one of the problems they, they caused was division in the church. And here's like, like, we know about these super apostles from Paul's perspective. So we just kind of think of them as bad as we probably should, Right. But, but imagine these people, these are people who had influence among the Corinthians, right? They, they probably did some good things among the Corinthians. There, there might have been a, a marriage that was really struggling, and they met with one of these kind of corrupted super apostles and helped. And so when Paul's saying, you know, kind of saying bad things about them, they're just like, gosh, they, but these, these guys really helped my marriage. Or maybe, who knows, they could have even led someone to Christ. Someone was born again through the ministry of these super apostles. Who Look, again, they were problems, but there were probably things in, that Corinthians held on to that they really liked about these super apostles that caused division. And let's say at the end of it all, like Paul writes this letter and everybody agrees, okay, the, the super apostles, we need to listen to Paul and not these so-called super apostles. But even still, there might be a, a difference of opinion of, of how, how should we think about them? How should we speak about them? Some people might be trashing them really bad and maybe approaching just slander and bad-mouthing them. And, and some might be a little bit more tenderhearted and gracious or whatever. And so there's likely to be division with how they uh, were, were experiencing these people. So, so there's something that, that what he wanted to leave them with was this. Aim for restoration. There have been people that have come into the church. They've caused division. And what you need to do is you need to aim for restoration and not try to sort through uh, all these other things. And look, this is probably not unlike what we have in our day. Is there anything going on that we can have a difference of opinion on? 
I mean, has there ever been more of a time where we can have a difference of opinions? I mean, we're, we're kind of in, in the same church. There's a lot of theological agreement. There's a lot of practical agreement. But man, I, I'd be, I got opinions and you got opinions. I'd be nervous to share all of them up here, right? And you would be nervous to share them all. There, there's just, it's a unique time. Like COVID-19. Let me tell you something about COVID-19. <laughs> Is everybody nervous for me right now? Like what I'm about to say? <laughs> Right? Yeah. So I'm not going to, but look, here's the thing. There, there's debate, masks or, or no mask. You know, some people say, hey, the loving thing to do is to, is to wear a mask. And some people are like, this isn't the great pandemic. This is the great panic. This is madness. And so let's all come together and worship God as, we're, as we have these things unsettled. And then how should we open up? When should we open back up? What, how, how should it look? Are we taking social distancing seriously? You know, those kinds of things, right? So anyway, there's a lot to be divided on. But here's what happens. It's not just that we're dividing over opinions. Once you divide over these opinions, relationally, there's some division that gets built into that uh, disagreement, right? Then obviously there's the, the race issue going on. There's a lot of frustration, confusion, accusation. Some people have strong opinions coming from from different angles, um, it seems that everyone is against racism, at least that, that I've been in contact with, but not everyone agrees on the appropriate response. What is not enough of a response and what is too much? And so there's some disagreement over that. And we're bound to find ourselves on different sides of issues, probably now more than ever. And it's going to be frustrating and it's going to be maddening. And so what do we do? Do we just dismiss those people that we disagree with? Do we decide, well, they're just them, and I'm just going to write them off? What if someone wanted to keep the flag, that they're upset about the change? How do we, how do, how do we fellowship with them? What if someone goes too far with social justice or anti-racism? What if someone doesn't go far enough with social justice or anti-racism? What if somebody loves Trump? Where's a MAGA hat, Right? What if somebody hates Trump? How can they come together and worship God? What if somebody is being clearly influenced by the liberal media and culture? And what if somebody is clearly on a Fox News only diet? How can they come together and worship our God? So look, here's the thing, is that we need to be careful that our different opinions don't lead to division. And I'm not saying these things don't matter. I got opinions on everything I just said, right? But what I'm saying is, is that we need to be careful to aim for restoration more than winning lesser arguments, that we would be one with one another more than winning arguments on lesser issues. Next, we have the call to comfort or to encourage one another. And I think this involves speaking words to each other that are, that are for the good. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened, by the deceitfulness of sin. God has given us a measure of power, and it's the power with our words. And in your lifetime, maybe this week, maybe today, you've used words that have hardened people's heart towards the deceitfulness of sins. And so there's a power that we have that can soften hearts or it can harden hearts. We've all been given a word ministry. You can build people up. You can tear them down. And look, this primarily is going to happen with the people closest to you, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm way harsher with my, I hate to say it, I'm way harsher with my family than I am to just random folks on Sunday, right? And so there's a sense where we, we, we're going to be more likely to, to tear down 
with people close to us, with our family, spouse, children, parents, people you work with, uh, people, people at church certainly are including this. And we can harden hearts or we can soften hearts. And so it's just good for us to consider what kind of words are coming out of the mouth. Are they helping? Are they hurting? And the Corinthians, Paul's, Paul's leaving them out just like, would y'all comfort one another, encourage one another, have words that are more healing than words that are hurtful. So next, we have agree with one another. <laughs> Seems like a tough go, right? Agree with one another, like on how much, everything, a little bit. Um, well, here's the thing. Obviously, we can't agree on everything. And that's what Romans 14 that Paul wrote is about. It's about liberty on lesser issues, or we can have a difference of opinion. Uh, other translations say like-minded or being of the same mind. So this idea of agreeing with one another basically means we should be on the same team. Sometimes in, in marriage, maybe you get in a fight and um, and you're just kind of going at it. And it's you're you're not working together. You're working against each other. You're trying to win the argument. But then by God's grace, one of you, one of the, the husband or the wife has a moment of clarity and they kind of back up and they realize, look, neither one of us want to be in this fight. We both love each other. We're for each other. We don't want to be mad and upset all day. We want to be happy together. So let's just remember we're on the same team. And then you kind of start, you have a different starting point to work together on the issue. Well, that's what we need to do as, as a church. There's a lot of things that you can divide on, right? You know, you kind of have the, um, uh, the, the old story about a church splitting over the, the carpet color. Look, we haven't had that just because we, we just kind of moved into this building. But I guarantee you, if we did carpet color, it's going to be a fight. Like, and here's the thing. I tell you right now, I don't care about the carpet. And then somebody says, we're going to put this color carpet in the It's like, that's a bad idea. I don't like that color, you know? So we'll just find things to disagree and, and divide over. And we just need to be careful about that. Lastly, uh, the, fifth com- the five commands, it says, live in peace. Peace is a fragile thing. Whenever you have a collection of sinners together, peace is at risk, whether it's your family, your work environment, or the church. And as believers, we have to have a special eye towards peace. I mean, even if you just kind of look in general, social media, the news, whatever, it seems like people are trying to fight, you know? And that's one way to get ratings or response. Say something bold, you know? It's not like, you know, when you turn on cable news, you don't see tons of nuance, right? You usually see kind of extreme size, kind of people put in the worst light. And so there's just this sense, as believers, as God's people, we should be people of that see a little nuance, right? That that aim and strive for peace. In Psalm 34, to seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, keep the peace. So there might be times where, where seeking the peace could be a bit disruptive. But as Christians, we should always be moving towards peace. So it's, this is true in our relationships and the people we are hanging out with, spending time with. It's true in social media. Whatever we might be posting should be geared towards peace. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's something that we are commanded to seek out. Keeping the peace is a serious thing, and we even have in our membership covenant to commit yourself to the purity and peace of the church. And may God discipline anyone who would rob us from that peace. 
and look, I'm not saying that as someone who just kind of wants to put their head in the sand and everybody pretend everything's always okay. Sometimes you need to say something. There's a problem. It needs to be spoken. It needs to be addressed. And sometimes it might be a little bit disruptive. What I'm saying is that there can be people who just take away the peace needlessly, cause controversy and problems that are unneeded and unhelpful, and they might think they're fighting for something dignified or, or worthy, but they're not. They're just causing problems. And so I, I make a bold statement like that, not to be harsh or anything like that, but just that this is what God desires, to, the way he desires to show himself to the world through the church is through a church that is at peace with one another. And so we should seek it and we should fight for it. Now, if we do these things, there is a promise that we should know about. So we just looked at what we should do, these, these five commands. Now let's consider what God will do. So my second point, I want to talk about a promise. The, the promise is this. If we do those things, Paul says in verse 11, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, as Christians, we we can kind of assume that God is always with us, right? That's right to think that. But it seems that at at places in Scripture, there are times and ways when God is with us in special or unique ways. And and maybe this means that we're just aware of God being with us in a a new or fresh way. Uh, Maybe he is actually present with us in some real unique way. I'm not sure, but what I'm sure is we want this. We want God with us, whether it means we it's revealed to us in a fresh way or whether it happens in a unique way, we should should want it. And the scriptures speak of God being with us in special ways. For example, in Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together, I am among them. So God is with us in a special way when we gather in his name. And it's different from when we are alone. And look, this is one of the things we have to get with the whole quarantine and pandemic. And look, it's, it's cool. If people are not comfortable coming out yet, then, then we, as the, the elder team, we encourage them to stay back. So we don't want anybody to feel guilty, like they need to come in and all that. We understand that this is a, um, uh, an area of, of liberty that, that we are saying people can make their own decisions based on their circumstances. But there is a unique way that God is with us when we are here together than he is when we are separate. And it's something that we should aim for, even even if it's not like a, like a good Sunday, right? Even if the, the sermon was kind of boring or it wasn't your favorite songs or whatever, there's something about us coming together and God is with us. Like I said before, there's a sense where you're not the audience, I'm not the audience, there is an audience and it's God and he is with us in a special way when we come together like this. And the idea of God being with people is a big deal in Scripture. It doesn't say that casually throughout Scripture. When God was with Joseph, he prospered in Egypt. He was with David in his success. And when God was with someone, he blessed them in unique ways to fulfill his purposes. And Paul's saying that as we do these five things, the God of love and peace will be with us. Look at verse 11 again. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So we should gather as a church because God is with us in a special way when we do. And we should do these five things. Rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in and live in peace, because God is with us in a special way when we do, and we want God with us in a special way. And Some of you might have known what it feels like for God to be with you. 
Maybe there was a sense where you were walking with him and communion with him um, or, or in tune with him. Maybe it was the way you felt. Uh, you felt his presence during, during a time of worship. But what we are seeing here is that this experience of being with God can be, can be cultivated by doing these five things. And it can also mean that if you experience the absence of God, you feel as if God is not there, that it could be that you aren't doing these things. Now, I want to be careful. I want to make it sound like you can just kind of drum up these things. I'm just saying God's Word has talked about God being with people, and He's given some, some commands that, that go with that. And so if there's a sense where if you're not walking with God, if you have no priority to rejoice, no priority, if you're content with making division and talking about people, uh, if you don't encourage other people and you feel distance between you and God, if right now there's distance between you and God, there might be something going on in your life that is causing you to not experience God with you. I'm not saying he's not with you. I'm just saying it might seem cold and distant. But we are seeing here there are things that we can do to experience the withness of God. These five things and gathering together as a church. So we should desire to feel God's presence and withness with us. Um, and if it's if it's cold and distant, we should consider these things. And, and one thing that's interesting to note is that four out of five of these the, the, the five commands I mentioned are communal in nature. Meaning there's a sense where if you want to experience God's God being with you, it doesn't necessarily mean you should go read your Bible more or pray more, though, though you should. But what we're seeing in the text here is that if you want to experience God with you, then you need to be with God's people doing these things. Or two or three gather my name, I am there with them. When you're doing these things, God is with you. So now let's move on to the third, uh, the third part, the benediction. Um, I'm skipping over verse 12, where it talks about the holy kiss. Just a quick acknowledgement. Um, so greet one another with a holy kiss, customary way of giving warm greetings in this day. And so you need to decide whether you're going to obey Scripture or get coronavirus. So it's up to you. Um, no, I, th- I think that the teaching here, this is that uh, Christians should greet each other warmly. Um, to me, we, we lived in Italy for a year, and they would do the bocce, you know, where you kiss on the cheek. It was always awkward for me. I remember one time there was a, an Italian... I'm getting off script here, but there's a there's a dang guy, and uh, and so anyway, I, I didn't like doing the bocce. You know, you go up and you kind of kiss on each side, uh, and, you, and you start with the left side first. If you mess that up, you both go left, and it's weird. But then there was one time I was meeting a guy, and so I went up and shook hands. Was going to give him the the bocce, and he was like being cool because he knew we were Americans and didn't like doing that, and so he didn't do it. And I went for it and got rejected. I was like, oh, sorry, so awkward moment. But anyway, so uh, the Italians. They might do a better job of the kiss than us. But anyway, back to the benediction. Um, So one thing to note about this benediction is that it's Trinitarian. Look at verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So so what does this mean? I, I say this. I've been saying it often for the last several weeks. I've said it for the last several years from time to time. This is a, a, a common benediction I give, and it's given throughout churches throughout the world. So, so what does it mean? What does it mean for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with you? What does it mean for the love of God to be with you? What does it mean for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with you? So let's consider each one real quick. So this is somewhat of an extension of what it means for God to be with us when God is with us in a special way. And, and this benediction becomes more of a reality to us, right? That's what, that's what Paul is wanting here. So first, what does it mean for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with you? 
think it's, to, it's that you are grounded in grace, that you possess the favor of God, not not by, by the merit of, of your own work or deeds, but by the sheer grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that you stand before God on the record of Jesus Christ and not on your own record. And Paul wants them to get that. And look, there's a difference between knowing we're saved by grace and really getting it down deep in your bones. And Paul wants them to get it down deep in their bones. There's a sense where you know that you stand on the record of Christ and not your own record. And you got that. Sometimes, and sometimes it happens when we sin greatly. God wants, or Paul wants them to understand this at the deepest level, that they would be, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with them. Not that they just say they would get it in their minds, but they, they would get it down deep in their soul. Second, what does it mean for the love of God to be with you? Well, as you stand in the grace of Christ, you stand in the love of God. One thing that's, that's unique about the gospel and Christianity that I think most people don't understand, does everyone understand that not everyone is a child of God? It's common to say we're all children of God. We're not. That's an exclusive uh, claim of Christianity. In John 1, 12 and Galatians 3, it's only those who have faith in Christ who are the children of God. And so when you become a child of God, it's a big deal. Right? It's not it's not something everybody's just born into. It's a big deal. Because what happens is, is, is that we are adopted into the family through Christ. And in a sense, Christ is like our brother in this. It's we're the adopted brother of Christ. And here's here's what's crazy, what you gotta that you have to get your mind around with this, with the idea of the love of God. The love of God the Father for God the Son is now on you. The very love that God the Father has for Jesus. He now has for you because you are in Christ. You've been adopted into the family of God by the work of Christ. And not everyone is a child of God, only those who are in Christ, who are in the Son of God. And look, you know, I've seen some documentaries or read somewhere that, that not all, all animals uh, uh, love and, and look after their, their children. Like they have their young and then they just kind of split, right? And, and that's, that's contrary to, to human nature, right? And anyone who does that is, is just, you know, it's, it's very odd. It's, it's, not, it's not the norm. All cultures everywhere, parents love and care for their, their children. And, and it's just hardwired into us to have deep affection for our kids, right? It's like, a, it's like an ache. God didn't have to do that, right? He, he didn't have to make us, as parents, love our children the way we do. But boy, do we, Right? He, he could have just, just made it not there. We could have just fulfilled our responsibility. But it is deep. And I think God did that. So not just so we, we would kind of carry out the species. I think he did it so we'd get the gospel. Because have you fathomed that the love you have for your children is, is only a, a, a shadow of the love God has for you? And I think if we, if we get our minds around who God is and this kind of love that he has for us, I think our hearts might just explode with joy. If we knew who God really is and we knew the love with which he loved us, we just might burst with joy. Finally, what does it mean for the fellowship of the Spirit to be with you? Well, the Spirit of God unites us to God and to one another. We're given the Spirit of God, and as believers, we have the same Spirit. 
So in a sense, being united, being a part of the same church and being together, like, like we're, we're, we're together in proximity right now, right? Like we're all in the same room. It's not a huge room. We're all here together. And so we're sort of kind of united, right? But there's something deeper than that because as believers, as those who are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit of God. I have the Holy Spirit of God. And for those of you in Christ, you have the Spirit of God. We have the same Spirit in us. And there's a sense where we, we have similar inclinations to worship God, to hate sin, and to agree on a lot. And there's a sense where that unites us, not a sense, by the Spirit, we are united to God and to one another. And Paul wanted the Corinthians to get that. Because look, there was a million different ways that the Corinthians can be d- divided. And there's a million different ways that we can be divided as a church. Even though, you know, we have, as a church, we have our distinct doctrine and, uh, and things that we have kind of set up. You know, there's a sense where we're, you know, uh, with, with the Orthodox faith, but we're different from other churches in town. That, and it's not even in like a bad way where we condemn anybody, but every church has their unique doctrines, right? And that's, that's good and right. And part of that is so we can have maximum agreement, right? And so even in a church that is designed for maximum agreement, we can have a lot of division, And so can the Corinthians. And Paul wanted them to know that they are united to God by the Spirit and united to one another by the Spirit. And this is how Paul wanted to finish out his letter to the Corinthians. Like he said, he didn't have another argument. This is how he wanted to leave them. He wanted to leave them with a benediction, a blessing. blessing. And in that, he wants them to do things. He he didn't just kind of give them this this big blessing. There's some things I want you to do. There's like five things. Do these things. And then he wants them to experience the goodness of God with them. So he gives them this Trinitarian benediction that the grace of Jesus would be with them, that the love of God would be with them, and that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with them. And that is indeed a good word, a blessing, and a benediction. And may God help us to do these five things that Paul told the Corinthians, and may God be with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the church, our church, is threatened in our day just as it was in the days of Paul and the Corinthian church. And would you help us to keep your commands? And would you be with us? Give us great joy and peace in the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.